Good morning, everybody. Happy Easter to you. Love Easter. It gives us an opportunity to, to dress, up, dress up like we're going to an SEC home game. <laughs> Love that joke. Love that joke. Um, I, I asked, that's what Drew and I were talking about. I said, if I use that joke, will they get it? He said, I think so. I love that joke. I said, I love it too. Um, we are glad that you're here. We're going to do more than just look like SEC home people. We are actually going to be learning from God's word this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, um, we're going to be looking at the implications of the resurrection of Jesus as Peter describes it to the audience that are absolutely amazed at what is happening um, because they are coming to terms with the reality that maybe Jesus, the one that they had crucified, um, was, was different than the person they thought he was. Uh, names matter, though, right? Names matter. The name matters. Uh, we're, the Johnson family right now is kind of walking. When I say the Johnson family, what I really mean is Mac and Liv. Mac and Olivia, uh, my son and his wife, are in the process of trying to figure out what they're going to name my little girl that they are having, okay? And so they're trying to figure out what that looks like. And I don't know about you, I know a lot of people that when they're going to have a baby, their response is, I am not going to say what the name is because I don't wanna say here's the name that we're planning and then have someone say, oh, I thought you loved your child. Why would you name it that? Uh, my dad's a little bit that way. If you ever wonder, is there anyone less like self-aware than Jim Johnson? The answer is yes, and his name is Frank. He is my father. And my dad could kind of do this. Now, my, my dad doesn't mean to hurt anybody. and doesn't mean to make just random comments, but he just kind of says what he's thinking. And uh, my dad grew up in a day and in an age where real manly men names, my wife and I had three. Have, 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 uh, now we have four boys, but at that time we had three young boys, and uh, they probably loved Sergio's name, but I remember my, my dad looking at some of the names that we would choose, and my dad would go, oh, what's wrong with Robert? Now there's a good name, or Richard, or my, one of my dad's favorite name was Harry. Like, now there's a real, like, manly name, and I'm like, seriously, dad? Like, Harry? Like, that's what you think is a really great name. He loves the name Harry. Um, and so when we would say, yeah, like we're, we're, we're going to have, or we have, we, we didn't find out what they were before. So we have this son and his name is Matthew. My dad would go, oh, okay. Like, not, not, it's not like Robert, but you know, good try, you know, give you a C. <laughs> uh, and so you, you want to be careful giving names because names actually do matter and they matter a lot to people and a lot goes into the name. Jesus' name was given to him. The angel said, and you will give him the name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is not one of the names that Andrea and I considered for our boys. We just didn't. We knew they needed him, but we didn't decide to try to give them that name. How many of you like never thought of the name Jesus, right? Probably never. Like you never thought, oh, you know what? We have a son. We should call him Jesus. No. How many of you kind of even feel like that's a little sacrilegious, right? Yeah. It feels weird. Like I don't think we should be doing this. I don't think we should be talking about this, right? But, like the name Jesus, and the angel said because he will save his people from their sins, is because it's connected to the, to the name Joshua, which would be pronounced Yeshua, which is a lot like the name Jesus, which is Yahweh saves, Yahweh saves. And so the name Jesus would not have been that strange. Like when Mary heard that, you'll give him the name Jesus. She's like, oh, okay, that's a nice name. I know a number of people who have their children and their names are Jesus. So it's not that 
Not that uncommon. For us, it really, really is. How many of you, and I know this is, I've really, really considered, but first two services went well with this, but how many of you have seen the website, How Many of Me? Any of you? Okay, so there actually is a website that is based off of the data for the United States Census Bureau. And if you just, if you just type in Google, how many of me, it'll take you to a website. And I know some of you are already doing it now. You, you don't think I can see you because you're doing it like this and you're occasionally just looking down and you're using that one hand. No, I, can, I know what you're doing. It's not the end of the world, but please do it quickly. But if you go to how many of me, you can actually find out some things. And so um, you can actually, if you just type in your first name, it'll tell you how many have that first name. And then your last name, you type in how many of that nat- na- how many of that last name and they will let you know. So I don't know if you've done this. Alyssa Henderson, have you done this? Alyssa, have you ever done how many of me? No, never done it. Um, I did it for you. Now I know your mom and dad are going to say there is only one Alyssa, right? But actually there's 39. She's one of 39 with that name, Alyssa Henderson. She's one of 39. Um, who else did I do? It was someone, oh, Jake. Is, your, is it Jake or Jacob? I did Jacob, good. Jacob Moore, do you know the number? 698. There's 698 Jacob Moores. Um, My name is so, like, ridiculously uh, common. (laughs) My parents are literally like, what is everybody else calling their kid? Might as well go with that one. So that's kind of what we did with me. My name is James Johnson, right? And so if you type it, it'll even give you the rank. And so James... Uh, how many other Jameses in the room? Any other one? Okay, it's, by the way, there's not that, it's weird. Second service, this place was packed and there was only one other James. And yet, it is the most common, um, it's the most common male name in the United States. There are, right now, currently, 5,439,046 Jameses in the United States of America. Um, so I have the most popular first name and I have the second most popular last name, Johnson. How many Johnsons? Raise your hand. Any other Johnson? None. <laughs> My family must have gone to another service. Okay. So Johnson is actually the second most popular last name. So the only, more, the only name that is more popular than James Johnson is James Smith. Okay. That's the only other. That's the only name that is more generic than mine. And there are, um, there are 2,250,287 Johnsons, meaning that of me, not 39, not 698, there are 37,445 James Johnsons. Does that not scare you, right? Meaning if something happens to me this week, we got a whole lot of other James Johnsons that can fill my shoes, Okay. So that's kind of how that works, but I thought to myself, I couldn't, I couldn't resist. I thought, you know, since we're going to be talking today about Jesus, it might be kind of good to know about his name. Um, we're, the, the name Jesus is actually 276th of all of the, the male names in the United States. It's the 276th most popular name. There are 256,587 Jesuses that are actually in the United States of America. There are 121 people, according to the United States Census Bureau, there are 121 people that do not have a last name. You know, Prince, okay? So there's, there's 121 people that do not have a last name. Um, interestingly enough, if you were to check out the name Jesus Christ, there are seven 
Oh, seven, that's like a biblical number. Did you know that? Right, so it's kind of like, how did that happen? Um, coincidence, this one I believe is coincidence. Um, there are seven people in the United States who have the first name Jesus and the last name Christ. None of them are him, by the way, just for the record. None of them are him. He's gonna come back a lot different and there's gonna be no confusion about where he is, okay? But here's the one thing that I thought was interesting is there are no Jesuses without a last name. See, Jesus' last name is not Christ. That's where you really... And, and Peter's gonna make a big deal out of this. That's where you really need to understand what, what, what Peter is preaching about is his name is Jesus. This Jesus, the one I'm talking about today and the one that Peter talked about. That Jesus, he is the Christ. You almost need that. Really do, you need that. It's not Jesus Christ. It's Jesus the Christ. Christ is another word for Messiah. The anointed one of God, the promised one of God. That this Jesus, the one that was crucified and the one that we're celebrating this morning that was raised back to life, like that Jesus, this Jesus that I'll be talking about today, he is the Christ. And there are zero in the United States. First name Jesus, no last name. But we all know that there is one, right? We all know that there is one. But even though that all of us, most of us probably at some level agree that there is one. Can I just give you the end of my sermon at the beginning? I'm asking you to consider this morning to not just treat him casually. I'm not asking you to uh, how many of me, Jesus, and figure out how many they are to find out if there are zero and to give some kind of passive recognition to the historical facts that Jim will be presenting to us today. A lot of people do that. Jesus enters the conversation and they just take a chair and then they have comments about him. Let me tell you about what I think about Jesus. Man, he's a pretty good guy. He's got some good stuff, actually. He's got some good stuff. So he's got some really good, like when you're sad, he's got some really good like, ideas to make us happy again. Um, and so I've got some ideas about him. And there are a lot of people that kind of treat Jesus like that. They have almost this observer mentality and Christ walks into the room, walks through the room and you have some comments about him. You have some opinions about him. But you know, you're, you're really trying to avoid getting like overly excited or overly upset on any issue, right? I mean, you're, you're that kind of person. Like I know people that get really excited about Jesus and then I know these other people and they get really upset about him. And honestly, I don't get either of those people. Like, I don't get why people are willing to change their lives and completely sell out to him, you know, like a Jesus freak. But I'm not a hater. I'm not. I'm not a hater. I'm not, I'm not against him. I'm totally cool with whatever he wants to do. And, and you know what? Honestly, I've got this really cool calendar that I have on my desk. And sometimes I'll even get these things, like, sent to me. And they're, like, inspirational quotes. And sometimes Jesus is on there, and he's got some good stuff. Like, I love some of his stuff. Bono's got some good stuff. Um, Gandhi's got some good stuff. I mean, some of our past presidents, most of them are dead. But anyway, they've got some good stuff, some inspirational ideas. And I really like that. I can really get excited about that. And there are many of us, and I would say who even attend church, who have somewhat of a, like an onlooker consciousness about them. And again, not for or against, I'm... I don't know, it's kind of like vanilla ice cream. It's not my favorite, but I don't hate it. It's good for, good for peach pie. That's Jesus. 
And I bet you a lot of people were that way in Jesus' day. Like, I really do. Like, I, I know that, I don't know if you've heard, but they would say, man, Jesus had, like, some real serious followers. There were 12 of them he hung up with all the time, spent, like, tons of time with them. Three of those 12 he spent even more time with. And then there were those people that really hated him. And, man, some of them were, like, screaming when they killed him. And they were yelling. And, like, and they, they, they decided that they would rather have that really bad guy named Barabbas. Like, I don't get them either. Like, I probably would have, you know, let, let, let him live. I mean, come on. He really hasn't hurt anybody. Like, let him live. Those would have been my votes. And here they are. And they're hearing this this message that Peter is giving, and he's not just trying to convince people to like Jesus or to consider Jesus as, as one more life coach that'll kind of help them through their day. Peter seems to be so overwhelmed by the reality of what God has done through Jesus, particularly raising him from the dead, that proves that Jesus isn't just somebody to be considered casually, but somebody that we hit straight on and that we deal with. And I just want to ask you this morning, like, have you dealt with him? Have you dealt with the, like, the fullness of who he is, the full reality of the implications that, um, here, I'll use some theological terms, but like the second person in the Trinity, right? The Son of God put on human flesh, dwelt among us, lived a perfect life, died a death so that our sins might be forgiven and then one day will judge us by our relationship in terms of our obedience to the majesty and the greatness of God. Like, have you dealt with him yet? Happy Easter! And it's a whole lot easier to say that, isn't it? It's a whole lot easier to do the, the, the Easter bunny thing then it's actually even easy to actually to come to church and to go to church and to just visit church and to sing some songs than it is to really deal with Jesus. And this morning I'm just saying, let's deal with him. Can we do that? Can we deal with him? Acts chapter two, we're gonna jump in at verse 22. And here's how Peter is describing things. I want you to notice this. Peter is describing not just Jesus, but how Jesus fits into the plan and the work of God. He wants you, and you'll see the you part near the end of this sermon. He actually talks about us. You might go, where? Seriously, he talks about us, Stillwater, Oklahoma? Yes. He talks about me, Jim Johnson, one of the 37,445s of me and the 39 Alyssas and the 698 Jacobs. Like, he actually deals with us, and the answer is yes. Like, it's, it's right in there. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Peter says, men of Israel, hear these words. Like, I want you to listen to me. I don't want you to just not hear me. Um, if you remember how this all started was Jesus said to the disciples, to the 12 of them, um, you are going to be my witnesses and you are going to go out and you're going to tell everything. And Judas leaves and then they, they, um, they select Matthias. And so we have 12 again. And Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses and you're going to wait here until the Holy Spirit comes on you. And that's what happens at the beginning of this chapter. The Holy Spirit comes on them and it's like an amazing event. To the point where it draws people's attention. So there is a, the power of the Holy Spirit. They talk about this great rushing wind. And then these 12 men go out and they begin to speak in such a way that the mass of people that are there to celebrate the Pentecost. 
okay? They're about to celebrate this Jewish festival, begin to recognize something is going on, and, and just like there's always that skeptic, there's always that critic, there's always that guy that has a hard time believing, they just going, okay, listen, I don't get what's going on here. These guys are drunk. These guys are just, they're just out of it. And Peter goes, no, actually, that's not it. You know, those people that you just think are like way too excited about something, you just want to kind of casually dismiss it? Peter says, no, we're not, we're not acting crazy here. Men of Israel, I want you to hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. Notice the specificity of this. It's not, I want to give you some life lessons. It's not, I know that you've got some, some aches in your heart. It's not, hey, I, I know that you have needs and I'm here to supply your needs. Um, the disciples and I were just coming up with a great strategic plan. We've figured out a way that we can, can grow some of our ideas and we see some life principles that will really benefit you. It's none of that. It's we're here to talk about Jesus of Nazareth. And just in case you've forgotten who he is, Jesus, Peter points out, this was a man who was attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. So what he's going to say here is like, I, I need you to reconsider some things because you thought like once he was dead, he was done. That Jesus is a person of history. Watch the History Channel. Watch the Discovery Channel. Um, most of those people consider Jesus to be like a person of history like Socrates or Julius Caesar. He's a person in history. So let me, let me tell you a little bit about Jesus of Nazareth, but Peter doesn't really give us that option. Now, by the way, I'm not saying you have to believe this, but what Peter is offering as a new way of looking at Jesus, a new way of thinking about Jesus, is that he was a man that was attested by God with miracles and wondrous signs. As you he did these in your midst, as you yourselves know, he's drawing them back into the story. By the way, most of those people probably didn't see them. They'd only heard about them. Most of those people probably didn't actually connect all the dots. They didn't have an opportunity. There were a number of people on the day of Pentecost that had traveled from far away, and they'd only heard about Jesus. And Peter is saying, whether you heard it or not, whether you understood it or not, I'm telling you, you know about these things that he did. The feeding of the 5,000, that was done by God, by the power of him. Raising Lazarus and Jairus' daughter, forgiving sins, all these things that Jesus did, all the signs, the calming of the storms, the calming of the seas, all these things that Jesus did were signs giving proof that you couldn't just casually comment on him. And, and this is why when we teach, and I don't just mean preachers, moms and dads, for those of you that risk being like Sunday school teachers of little children, like, don't just teach, like, generic stories about Jesus. He calmed the storms of the sea, and he can calm the storms in your life. Sure, because he is, in fact, the maker of the seas. See the difference? It's not just Jesus has, like, some tips. He's not amazingly insightful, he was, in fact, attested to by God with signs and miracles and wonders. And he says to them, as you yourselves know. And then he says in verse 23, I love this. I don't know if I'd ever really noticed this before, but just kind of pouring over this text the last few weeks. I began to notice how many times Peter is underlining Jesus of Nazareth. And then he describes him. And then he goes, this Jesus. <laughs> Maybe we've always been in the habit of kind of making our own Jesus. 
I, I get that from people sometimes, and I'd love to say, but I've never done it, but I've done it too. You know, the Jesus I believe in would never. You know, the Jesus that I believe in, you know what he's like? Well, you do know you're not allowed to make up Jesus, right? Like, you do know, like, you don't really have that option. You know, I've never heard anybody else say, you know, the Napoleon that I like, what? <laughs> what about the Napoleon that you like? You know, the, the Abraham Lincoln that I really like, um, like, apart from the reality of the Abraham Lincoln of history, but we do that with Jesus all the time. Jesus that I know, Peter says, like, this Jesus, the real Jesus, the one that God attested to, look at this, this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. Now that's a critical piece. First and foremost, before he gets into the, and here's what God did, and he was raised from the dead, first of all, you need to understand, like, how did all of this work together? Like, it doesn't, Christmas doesn't seem that long ago, right? And I, I think it's after this weekend they start putting up the Christmas stuff in the, in, you know, in Hobby Lobby, probably particularly, um, I, I, I saw some people kind of with some, some Christmas ornaments the other day, and I thought, oh, wow, is it April already? But, you know, so you've got this, you've got this, this excitement. And so Christmas wasn't that long ago. Isn't it? Isn't this, isn't, how do we get from this baby born in a manger and this wonderful teacher, how do we get to the cross? And the answer is, according to the scriptures, that this was the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. See, that's why like, preachers and moms and dads need to really be careful to not just treat Good Friday, to not just treat what Jesus Christ did on the cross with a kind of a, he died for your sins, I hope you feel bad. Guess what Jesus did for you? I hope you feel bad. I mean, have you felt bad what Jesus did for you? How many of you guys remember watching The Passion and just going, wow, that was for me, I feel bad. Anybody else? Like, I, I felt that way. That's really not kind of what Peter wants them to do. Peter's not wanting them to kind of feel bad. It's interesting. He, he kind of says, hey, this happened according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. I've heard preachers talk a lot that he died and it was all about sin. But, you know, and that's why the angel said it at the very beginning. He said to Mary, he's going to come and rescue his people from their sins. She just had no idea what that was going to mean, the implications of that statement. But literally the implications are what? The definite plan foreknowledge of God. I mean, I've preached this, I think it was last Easter. If you really want to know who to ultimately blame for the death of Jesus, the best answer, the most theologically right answer is God. Did you know that? Wow. See, and that just proclaims his love. That just proclaims his grace, does it not? Now, by the way, there is a responsibility here. Notice how Peter continues. He doesn't just go, by the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God, in conclusion, <laughs> no. According to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. There is this bringing together of God's foreknowledge and plan and purpose and our brokenness, and only God can do this. How do those things fit together? See, when we begin to lift up our brokenness as the kind of the reason and the purpose, then it's kind of like our brokenness that causes God to do things. It's about our need, and it's really not. The Bible actually teaches that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That God knows our need, and he knew our need, and he loved us anyway. That God had a plan. I love this. 
Creation is Genesis 1 and 2. Fall is Genesis 3. I don't know if you've noticed. Come up and take a look sometime. Redemption begins. You know where? Genesis 3. (laughs) That's where redemption begins. That's where God goes, I got this. I got this. Like you might wonder, but I got this. That's at the very beginning of the story of the Bible is God going, I got this. I got you. I'm ahead of this. Like, I know your brokenness and I know your need. I know your rebellion against me. I know you're going to mess this up. I know you're going to hurt other people and you're going to be hurt by other people. And I got this. The definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. And then there is a a human involvement. I know you want to try to somehow, like, escape that and kind of hold on to the fact that you really meant well and that you really are trying to be a good person and all of those things. But none of those things will please a perfect God. Down deep, you know that. Down deep, you know there is a brokenness that you cannot fix and you cannot appeal to a a, a greater intention because you actually even know as much as you want to say you had the best of intentions, you know it was somewhere between you just didn't really care that much about those around you, like you didn't even care enough, to actually you, I don't know, man, I'm just speaking for myself, but, and I can get, I can get really like mean sometimes. And I don't know about you, but I can be really selfish sometimes. It is that kind of brokenness that God has a plan to do something for. And, and look at this in verse 24. It's not only this, this brokenness according to the definite plan, but that's why, that's why Jesus doesn't stay in the grave. It's because death could not hold him. Look at verse 24. God is the one who not only gave proof of his power through his ministry, but God raised him up. Loosing the pangs of death because it was impossible for him to be held by it, right? Jesus is the one in Revelation that holds the keys of death and Hades. I am the first and the last. I am the firstborn from among the dead. Which, which by the way, that Lazarus wasn't. Um, even back in the Old Testament, no, 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 that, that boy that was raised from the dead, Elijah, no, 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 that's not, he's not the first one. Enoch's not the first one to not taste death. Do you understand, like, there is something bigger than this, and it is God himself, and this God in Jesus Christ, it becomes a fundamental game changer. The reason why death could not hold him is because he holds death. He's got it. It's this Jesus that we're here to sing about today. Like, now do you see why it's hard to kind of truly reflect on the reality of of that Jesus and just go, oh, yeah, ugh. Do you see how you really can't do it to that Jesus? You can't yawn at that Jesus? At least if you do, there's something that's not connecting. And Peter continues on because he, he knows that one thing they'll begin to hold on to is the reality of the Old Testament. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Like somehow David, the great king, knew that there was a greater king. Somehow David was given by God's mercy and by God's grace insight to the fact that there was something that was bigger than him. Jesus loved to use David as an example, drawing back to the words that David used to say, can't you tell that David saw something greater than him? You guys don't want to talk about great David is or how great Moses is. You do realize like they knew there was something greater than them. And they're talking about me. That's what Jesus kept saying. Moses was pointing to me. David was pointing to me. 
Ah, we don't think so. Crucify him. And God goes, not so fast. He raises him back from the dead. And Peter and James and John and Paul later on and other believers are going to go, wow, I see God's hand tracing through the pages of the Old Testament the promise of Easter, the promise of Jesus, the promise of life, the promise of hope. And it's amazing that God gives to David, this great king, a picture of a greater king. Because David's a lot like you and me. David had like great moments. I remember when I was chosen and anointed king of Israel. And then not long after that, I got chased by the real king and I'm hiding in caves. I knew what it was like to be really, really excited and I knew what it was like to be really, really frustrated. I remember when, when, when finally Saul died and Jonathan died and then they made me king and I remember sitting on my throne. And then I remember like not long after that, my son decides to rebel against me and he chases me out of town. I remember sitting and I wrote Psalm 23. It was an amazing psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Boy, that's good stuff. And then I remember having to write, um, in sin my mother conceived me and in sin she gave birth to me. Created me a clean heart, O oh God, because I committed adultery with Bathsheba and then killed her husband. My life is a roller coaster. I'm up and down. And what, you know what, what determines how I'm doing? Like my circumstances. And so, are you like this? Just like David, when things are really, really up, you're really, really good. And when things are really, really down, you're really, really down. Or when things are really, really up, you know they're going to go down. And so you're kind of trying to brace yourself. And when things are really, really down, you actually are hoping and praying that somehow they'll swing back up again. Does anybody just feel like that roller coaster of life from success to failure, from success to failure, from great heights to great depths? That's what we all go through. And, and by the way, Jesus doesn't make it all level. <laughs> he doesn't come to those people who are excited and go, okay, chill. And those people who are really depressed. Okay, come on, you can do a little better than that. You know, Jesus like supersedes, like um, imposes himself upon all of it and says, I, I need to give you a hope that is outside of your circumstances, good or bad. Like I want you to see like a hope and a purpose. I want you to see God's ultimate plan that is actually deeper. Like it'll give meaning to your greatest success and it will give you hope in your failures. Like I want you to see the bigness of who I am in all of this and God gives David this insight now, now, Peter, someone who is not very confident, says in verse 29, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about that the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. But being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Messiah, of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Verse 32, he says it again. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So everything that was going on in Jesus' ministry, and you didn't really understand what you were doing, and you killed him, but it, God's plan is bigger than that, and God raised him back from the dead, and his Holy Spirit has come upon us, and we are now giving you an, another opportunity to hear the truth about who Jesus Christ is. Aren't you grateful for every Easter where you have an opportunity to hear again the truth about Jesus? 
because you've been standing on the sidelines just casually commenting on Jesus. Your life goes on almost completely unaffected by him, occasionally inspired, um, um, periodically encouraged, but pretty much independent. Peter says, that's not God's plan for you. Verse 33, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. In verse 36, so let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Who? This Jesus that you crucified. So then how should we respond? Like what is the plan and the purpose of this? And this is what I love is that the conclusion of the message, for the most part, is that is this Jesus. And I need you to understand, like, this is who he is. And God has made him Lord. And God has made him Messiah. Deal with him, he says to the audience. Deal with him. Like, deal truthfully with him. Not, not occasionally, not selectively. Deal with the fullness of him. May your mind deal with the fullness of who he is and the implications thereof. May your life deal with the fullness of who Jesus Christ is. I get, I really do, like I get that worldly people who don't know God can treat Jesus like um, um, an occasional quote artist to encourage them. I just don't understand how Christians can do that. And when I say that, I mean, like, I, I wake up some days and wonder what I'm doing. How am I not giving that over to Christ? That fear, that sin, that brokenness. What am I doing? Because I really do believe in everything I'm saying up here. And then I'm struggling not just to live it out, because that's kind of in the word, believe. Like, I believe it, and I'm struggling to believe it. Jesus, um, I do believe, but will you help me in my unbelief so Peter says in terms of our response look at verse 37 now when they heard this they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles brothers what are we going to do like if all of what you said is true and we've heard about it we've heard about all the amazing things and I went and I saw it yep the temple curtain is torn in two I remember the earthquake. I remember the darkness. I remember that one soldier, and he said, surely this must be the Son of God. Like, I've not been able to put some of those things together, and I didn't see him myself, but enough people have seen him. I don't know how to deal with that. What do we do? And I love what he says. He doesn't say, well, sit in the corner and feel bad. He doesn't say, well, you need to get to work and just really start doing a better job loving people and caring about people, because that's really all God cares about. What does he say? Repent. Change your mind about Jesus. That's what I hope you do today. And by the way, that's not just for those of you that have never really given your life fully to Christ in faith. No, like every one of us, actually, every one of us, what Jim needs to do today is to change his mind about Jesus more. Give him more of the fullness of my thoughts. Give him more of the fullness of my emotions. Give him more of the implications of all of my relationships. This is something I need to work on. Repent and be baptized, that, that, that submersion, that submission. This is a word that would have been very popular for the Gentiles if you want to be included. Um, sure, I mean, there was that brokenness, and John the Baptist, John the Baptist talked about this baptismal um, repentance that kind of somehow cleanses us, but Peter says, hey, this is what I want all of you to do. Humble yourselves, like receive this in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter is saying, like, just like we have, 
And then here it is, look at verse 39. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. There I am, here we are. Far off, there's still water right there, far off, right in your, right in your margin, still water, okay. Everyone, there he is, Jim Johnson. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And, and, and you notice, like, I know people love to say, that's the most amazing sermon ever, 3,000. And, and, and by the way, I probably won't tweet, hey, we had 3,000 people come forward this morning. We didn't have 3,000 people attend. Hey, Jim, how many people came to Christ today at Sunnybrook? I really don't know, to be honest with you. Hopefully a lot. And hopefully we're gonna have some additional conversations, like hopefully what you're dealing with right now um, I'm really not just asking you to make like a temporary thought or an emotional response, although it is very emotional, it's not temporary. I just wanna know, like, have you dealt with this Jesus? Have you dealt with the fullness of his name? See, this is one of the reasons why you can't just find how many of me and the find that Jesus, because that Jesus isn't listed in the U.S. Census Bureau. Like that Jesus is somewhere else and that Jesus one day is going to come back. Think about it. Those people saw Jesus, and they didn't understand the fullness of who he was, so they killed him. And many of us are kind of going, how could they do that? How could they miss that? I'm telling you, there are a lot of people in this room right now who are one day going to see him in the fuller fullness of who he is. And they're gonna go, wow, I really should have dealt with you different than I did. Like, I really should have trusted you with my sin problem now that you will stand over me because Jesus Christ came to save. And what have you done with that amazing offer of salvation? <laughs> like what have you done with the gift of God to you in Jesus Christ? Have you received, like by faith, the goodness of God through Jesus? Because it's at the name of Jesus everything changes. At the name of Jesus everything changes. Paul says in Corinthians chapter six, verse 11, he lists a whole bunch of sinful traits like Jim Johnson who was, I, well, I'm a liar and I'm a thief and I'm, I've got lustful thoughts and I'm very proud. And he says, but you, Jim, were washed. He's talking about the Corinthians here, but it includes me too. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It is the power of the name of Jesus that changes things. It's not just a name that appears or doesn't appear in the U.S. Census Bureau. This is Jesus' name. It's fundamentally different. It's been given by angels and confirmed by God. That is why I ask you, I beg with you, I plead with you to deal with the fullness of who he is. Because Paul says in Philippians 2, God has highly exalted him, who? This Jesus. And bestowed on him, who? This Jesus the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Like that's how this ends, you know that, right? And that's why we've chosen to have communion at the end of our time today because that's what we're here to celebrate. The bigness and the fullness of Jesus Christ. <laughs> that, that's why we, we celebrate not the um, not, not always like the Christmas and the birth of Jesus, although that's a good thing to be thankful for, the incarnation, but what we gather around on a regular basis and we give thanks to him for is the fact that he died and he took on our sin and God raised him. And by raising him, he has proven that everything about Jesus is true. 
And I just want to ask you, like, have you come to grips with that? Have you experienced the goodness that comes from that? And if you have, our servers are going to be passing communion trays that have the bread and a cup that represent the body of our broken Savior and the blood that was spilt for you. And how do you know, how do I know that when I eat and when I drink that, that I am proclaiming the goodness of God and it is a reminder that my sins are forgiven? You want to know how we know? Because God raised him from the dead. Happy Easter. How do I know that my greatest successes or my greatest failures aren't going to bind me? Because God raised this Jesus, that Jesus, from the dead. Do you know him? If you do, I pray that as the trays are passed, you take the cup and you take the juice. And you drink well, knowing the goodness of God. If you do not yet know him, then I would encourage you, let the the tray pass. Think about what he has done. Deal with him. We would love to talk with you. Would love to talk with you about the fullness of who he is. Servers, why don't you come now? The trays are gonna be passed, and while that is happening, we are going to sing over you the story of God's amazing love through Jesus Christ.